We are on Ksubischof Dalar Amabez 24b1 in the Archgo Gemara on the bottom of the second column. Uh, the Gemara now will begin really a new topic that will take us for a little while. Uh, and that new topic starts because it's a second answer to explaining what exactly is the argument between the Tanakhama and Rabbi Huda, between the first opinion, really of our Mishnah, but also of a Brisa that we just recently quoted, and Rabbi Yehuda. Because in the Mishnah it says that according to the Tanakhama, according to the first opinion, we uh, accept one witness uh, to say that somebody is a Kohen, to then allow that person to eat truma, to eat the uh, special food that is given to the Kohen. Rabbi Yehuda says that we do not trust that one witness. So the Gemara, as we had in the last class, gave one explanation as to what they're arguing about, i.e. Gomlin, the concern that uh, there's some sort of uh, plan that was put in place between two people, they're going to testify on each other, um, and therefore there's concern for that. Now we give a totally different answer, totally different answer, even if it's just one person testifying. Without the other person testifying, seemingly we would have this argument. And Vibai Sema, what are they arguing about? The argument is about as follows. Um, we know that for a Kohen, they have certain privileges and certain things that they're obligated in. And we're going to have many cases, we're going to discuss, well, if they're doing some or one of these things, is that good enough proof? Is that sufficient for us to then view this person as a Kohen with regards to everything else? And mainly with regards to this concept called Yuchsin. What is Yuchsin? Uh, so Yuchsin is basically the idea that in order to be a Kohen, we're going to explain this according to uh, Tosos and some others. This is not the explanation of everybody. Uh, but essentially, in order to be a full-fledged Kohen, you have to have proper Yichus. You have to have proper, proper lineage. In that, let's say, even if your father is a Kohen, and we know that the tribes go based on the father, but still, you can still be disqualified depending on the mother because there are certain relationships where it creates the, the child, it becomes a chalal, becomes the status of a chalal. Uh, he's a child of an illicit relationship, specifically in the context of a kohen. Uh, so let's say marrying a somebody who's divorced or a convert, or if it's the high priest, the kohen gadol, uh, marrying a widow. Uh, so then it, it creates the status of a chalal for the child. That child then is not really, is, is a disqualified Kohen. Even though the father is a Kohen, it's a disqualified Kohen. So the question is, and that has very serious ramifications because it's not just for the child, but it's for all descendants, let's say at least, um, let's say at least for all all uh, males, let's say all sons that they have going down the line. Um, so that would that would make all their children uh, a chalal, have the status of a chalal, of a disqualified Kohen. That, so that's, that's very serious. And we want to make sure that we're not just, uh, automatically giving somebody the status of Kohen, uh, with regards to their status as not being a chalal, even if they're doing certain things that a Kohen does. But would that be sufficient to then impact all future generations? We don't have witnesses. We don't have proof of, uh, let's say, of sometimes they would, uh, document their lineage. We don't, we don't have that type of, uh, proof, but we have some other form of proof. Would that be sufficient to then come to the conclusion and say that um, that they are therefore completely good 
uh, with regards to yichus, with regards to their lineage, and to then say for all future generations, they are not a chalal, they don't have the status, status of a disqualified Kohen, or not. And so that we're going to give different examples. The Gemara now is going to give a few different examples. Ask the question, if, there, if, the, if we see that this person is doing this action, the first action being eating truma, if we see a Kohen uh, eat truma, is that going to automatically lead to a situation where either we will conclude that this person is not a halal, or maybe we're concerned that people are going to get confused, different ways of really saying this, they're going to get confused and think that this person is not a halal, uh, are we going to have that concern or not? So according to the first opinion, you can rely on one witness to say he's allowed to eat truma. Why? Because it will not lead to the automatic assumption then, just because we allow him to eat truma doesn't mean that we, or that we're not, we're not even concerned that others will then assume that this person is a full-fledged Kohen and not a Chalal. No! We told him he's allowed to eat Shuma. It doesn't mean that he's not a Chalal. We will still be concerned that maybe this person is a Chalal until we know otherwise. And so therefore, let him eat Shuma. There's no problem. Let him eat Shuma. We won't draw any conclusions with regards to the rest of his uh, descendants. No, it's just about eating Shuma. Rabbi Huda says, no, we cannot trust this one witness even to eat Shuma. Because if he ends up eating truma, you know what's going to end up happening? It's going to end up being that we, we, we're, it's, it's as if we, we've uh, confirmed that he's a full-fledged Kohen, uh, and therefore it's going to impact all future generations. And that we can't take a chance for. That is the position of Rabbi Yehuda. Okay, so now we're going to come to other examples. We're, we're now moved on to 24b2 in the article of Gemara. Next case. What about the following? What about if we see that this person signs their name as a Kohen on a document, on a legal document? Is that sufficient proof or not? So the says, well, what exactly is the case? If it's the fact that it's a witness who's signing that I am so-and-so, the witness, the Kohen. Well, nobody's testifying on that witness. There's no testimony of that witness. That's just the witness signing his own signature. In fact, uh, just as a side point, there's a question today. Should a person, if they're a Kohen or a Levi, should they sign a, as a witness saying, concluding saying that they are a Kohen or a Levi? Should they do that or should they not do that? But either way, there's nobody who's testifying on that. So, No, it's in the document. The document says, I, the Kohen, borrowed money from so-and-so. And the witnesses side on that document. So are the witnesses also acting as testimony, not just for the, for the loan itself, but also everything else that's part of the document, i.e. that this person is a Kohen? Do these witnesses, or are they also acting as, uh, as, as witnesses for this or not? So my, what's the law? So now it depends. The simple explanation of this Gemara is, well, what are the witnesses testifying on? Do they only testify on the main point of this document, i.e. the halva, the loan itself, or are they also testifying about everything? Do they testify about all the details? When they sign the, when they sign the document, are they also testifying about all the details? And therefore, they're also testifying that this person is a Kohen. So what's the law? This is a dispute. This is a dispute as to whether or not we would accept this testimony. Uh, because if we accept this testimony, so then it would also impact all future generations. So that's, that is a dispute between two rabbis from the days of the uh, Gemara. 
Okay, so that's with regards to a star signing on a, not signing on a document, but when it's in the document itself that somebody's a Kohen, and then you have witnesses who sign on that, are they also testifying about the fact that they are a Kohen? Next case, Ibayiluhu, they asked about the following. If you find a Kohen who is duchening, who is reciting the priestly blessings to the Jewish people that we do, they do in Israel every day, we now do this uh, outside of Israel. Um, some Svartim, Svarti communities do this every day, but Ashkenazim primarily do this just uh, three times, a, not three, more than three times, but just during the Yom Tovim, during the holidays. Why that is is, uh, is an important question. It's not really found, it's not really a, a custom which we find in the Talmud, but it's probably after that, slightly after that, where um, we should really only recite the blessings when they're in a, in a mood of, of a joyous mood of happiness. And when we're in the exile, we're outside of Israel, so we have a, a lower, uh, lower status of simcha, of happiness, and so therefore we only do it during the holidays where there's a higher level of happiness. But either way, uh, there's, a, there's a mitzvah for the Kohen to recite these priestly blessings, uh, the blessings that, uh, that we have. Um, so what happens if you find the Kohen who's doing this? Do we then automatically assume that they are uh, have good lineage and therefore uh, we could conclude that their kids are also our fine Kohanim? So the Gemara analyzes this. Let's compare this to Truma. We mentioned before, if a Kohen is eating Truma, there is a dispute as to whether or not we could then come to the conclusion to say that their kids are also good Kohanim. So this would work in either direction. Whether you say that it works for Truma or it doesn't work for Truma, uh, to come to that conclusion, we have an open question when it comes to when we find this person who is reciting the priestly blessings. Maybe when it comes to truma, the punishment for a non-Kohen to eat truma, the special food that's given to the Kohen, is the punishment of death. The punishment of death. What happens if a non-Kohen, if you have a Yisrael who gets up there to Dochen to recite the priestly blessings, what happens to that? What's, what's that? That's only a, a, a violation of a positive commandment. It doesn't get the punishment of death. It's a lower level, much lower level of the violation of a positive commandment. There's a positive commandment to, uh, for the Kohen to bless and not anybody else. If a non-Kohen went up there, so it's a lower level. So maybe it's not a good enough proof. So even if you want to say it's a good enough proof, Truma is a good enough proof to say that their kids are, uh, are good Kohanim. Uh, but it wouldn't, maybe it wouldn't necessarily be true when it comes to when they recite the priestly blessings because if a non-Kohen recited the priestly blessing, it's a lower level. Or do we say that, no, maybe there's no difference and, and we can even bring a proof with regards to the person who's reciting the priestly blessings. Maybe that is also good enough proof. So that, that's a question. It's an open question. But even to Leman, Dhamma, Eimalan, even according to the opinion that says with regards to Truma, that uh, if you see that they're eating Truma, the special food that's given to the Kohanim, that that, that is not sufficient proof that their kids are of good lineage. No, maybe that's only by Truma. That's only by truma because when you're eating truma, you're doing that privately. It's not in the public. But when, when one recites the priestly blessings, that's done in the public forum. If he's not a kohen, he wouldn't have the chutzpah. He wouldn't have uh, he wouldn't have the audacity to get up there and to recite the blessings with the with the other kohanim. So maybe even though it's 
the punishment is not as severe, but maybe it's sufficient proof because it's done in public, or maybe not. Uh, so either way you go, whether you say that by truma, we could draw conclusions with regards to the lineage, or whether by truma we say we can't, we have an open question when it comes to the priestly blessings, because the priestly blessings, on the one hand, it's a lower level uh, sin, on the other hand, it's done in the public, so what's the status? What do we say? Could we, could we then draw conclusions with regards to the children? Now before we even get to the answer, just one point. One important point here is that this seems to be a proof. Our Gemara seems to be a proof that if it's a non kohen who recites the priestly blessings, uh, so then it's a violation of a, of a positive commandment. Now, th- this is not so simple. There's a passage in a Gemara elsewhere which seems to imply uh, that there is no violation whatsoever. So there's different answers that are given, or at least according to Tosos there, there's different answers that are given. Maybe it's only a violation if you do it by yourself with other Without other kohanim around, uh, others want to say the exact opposite for different reasons. Because it's only it's only a violation when you are doing it with other kohanim. Uh, but either way, there's there's some sort of the violation has to exi- exist in some capacity somewhere. So we know that there's a a common custom for parents to bless their children with the same blessing, the same exact blessing that kohanim bless the Jewish people with the verecha Hashem v'yishmerecha. Parents bless their own children. So how is this allowed? How is this allowed if it's designated for the Kohanim to recite this pri- these priestly blessings? So it's uh, it's a good question. It is the custom to do so. Some have uh, have a custom really coming from the Gera, the Vilna Gaon, who says that you should only use one hand to sort of differentiate between what we do and what Ko- as parents and what Kohanim do. Kohanim use two hands to bless, and so we should really use one hand. So that maybe that's an answer. But it is. It, is, it does seem to be that that's the. Co- the common custom is to recite this blessing, even though it's really designated for the Kohanim. Okay, just one interesting point there. But what's the answer? Could we, if, if we see somebody who's, who's reciting the priestly blessings in the shul, in the synagogue, so then could we assume that uh, they have good lineage? So this is subject to debate. Subject to debate. Uh, one uh, different rabbi from the times of the Gemara, some say, one says that we, we could elevate him. Uh, and uh, give him good lineage, and one says that we can't. So the Gemara now re- re- presents this as a question, and they're going to attempt to, to give an answer from a story from Ezra. So, Amar Le Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak, the Rav Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak says to Rav, "Ma'alalos minisiz kavayim liyosin." Kui, what's the what's the ruling with regards to? We see that they are reciting their priestly blessings. So then, could we then uh, uh, give them a status where they are fit? For their lineage, uh, and that their children are, 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 are good Kohanim, that they have good lineage. Amar Lehi says, plucked the Chesar Rabbibin. He says, what are you talking about? We just said that this was a dispute between, between rabbis. So he said, my question is, Hechos Amai, what do we, what do we follow? In the end, what do we follow? So he says, uh, Amar Lehi says, Anamasisa Yadana. He says, I know the following Brisa. The Brisa are notes from the time periods of the Mishnah. He says, I know the following Brisa. Which answers your question. It's true, it's a dispute between rabbis in the times of the Gemara, but we have the following Brisa. What does the Brisa say? The Tanya. Rabbi Yossi, Omar Rabbi Yossi says, Gedola Chazaka. Great is Chazaka. What does Chazaka mean in this context? Is great is what one has been doing that they are basically allowed to continue doing it. What am I talking about? What's the case? And we're going to quote now verses, a lot of verses from the book of Ezra, when Jews, is between uh, the first and second temple, when the Jews were uh, put into exile into Babylonia, 
Um, and then they return back. They return back with Ezra. So what happened then? It says, not everybody returned, but uh, what happened? Basically, we had these families of Kohanim. There was this concern that they were marrying people that these Kohanim were not allowed to marry. According to some, they were they were converts. A Kohen cannot marry a convert. Um, they were searching for their genealogical records, but they couldn't find them. So therefore, they were disqualified from Kohuna. But it adds, Basically, they did not allow them when they returned back to Israel to eat from the Kodesh HaKadoshim, to eat from the Holy of Holies, to eat from the Korbanas, from the sacrifices that were designated, certain portions were designated to the Kohanim. They did not allow them to eat from it because they didn't have proper lineage. They didn't have the records, which they were supposed to have. So they didn't let them eat from it. Um, but there's an implication here that it says specifically that they were not allowed to eat from the Holy of Holies, from the sacrificial portions, implication being, but they could eat from other things that are designated for the Kohen, i.e. truma, that they're allowed to eat the truma. So, What's the idea here? Because, just like you were eating truma, they were eating truma, these people who, they didn't have their records with them. And there was this concern that they are a halal because maybe their father who was a Kohen Married a convert. There was this concern because there were many, uh, many non-Jewish women that they were marrying. Uh, so uh, we should have this concern. But since they were eating truma in Babylon, in Babylonia, they were eating the truma, the special portion of food. So so too, we let them to continue eating that in Israel. That's what it says. That's the end of what it says. So what were they doing? Also, besides for that, they were also reciting the priestly blessings in Babylonia. While they were in exile, before they returned back to Israel, they were also reciting the priestly blessings. So what do we see from here? The Gemara asks, well, if they were reciting the priestly blessings, they could continue. The idea is that we're saying now that there's this concept that if they were did it in Babel, in Babylonia, they can continue doing it in Israel. Well, they were reciting the priestly blessings then. They were going to continue reciting the priestly blessings. Aren't we concerned about the lineage? They don't have their records. So we see from here must be that we're not concerned. Just because they're reciting the priestly blessings does not mean that we automatically assume that they are full-fledged Kohanim. They're allowed to recite the priestly blessings. So the Gemara says, no, there's no proof from there. Shiny hacha No, there's no proof because we already know that there's a certain flaw within them. They're not allowed to eat from the korbanos, from the sacrifices. So even though, we, yes, they're reciting the priestly blessings, but at the same time, the same people are not eating from the sacrifices. That, it's, it's obvious to the public that there's some question about their lineage. So you can't bring a proof from that, that case because they're doing one thing, they're reciting the priestly blessings, but they're not eating from the, from the karbanos, from the sacrifices. And I'll even bring you a proof. We also allow them to continue eating truma, and according to the opinion that says that when you eat truma, it's perfectly good lineage moving forward, that they, we assume that they're full-fledged quantum. How can we let them eat truma? There's a whole question on their lineage. But the answer is no. Uh, it's because 
Uh, there's a there, there's an obvious issue here because we see it's it's to the public we see this in the public that they're not allowed to eat from the sacrifices so everybody knows even though they're eating truma and in general truma would be sufficient according to some for the for for to prove their lineage and that their kids are are full fledged kohanim but in this case it's not it's obvious that it's not uh, because there's a question on them and we let them eat truma but we don't let them eat from the sacrifices so that itself would be uh, would be sufficient for us to say you know what. It doesn't mean that their kids are full-fledged Kohanim because we see it's out there in the open that they're not eating from the sacrifices. So too, when it comes to the fact that they're reciting the priestly blessings, but okay, fine, they're reciting from the priestly blessings, but at the same time, they're not eating from the sacrificial uh, portions that are generally given to the Kohanim. Uh, so there's a question on them. So you can't bring any proof. The point is you can't bring any proof from this passage in, in this Brisa because this is not a regular case. This is a case where there's, where there's already something out there in the open that they're not eating from the sacrificial offerings. So even if they, you can't bring a proof one way or the other. There's, there's no proof. So in the end of the day, we're still left with the question. We're still left with the question of, uh, do we, what's the law? Uh, it was an argument. It was an argument between two rabbis from the Gemara as to whether or not we could draw a conclusion to say that they, their children are Kohanim. But there's no proof from here. From this case, this was a case where they're reciting the priestly blessings, but at the same time, they're not doing other things that Kohanim generally do. So uh, you can't bring any proof from there. Um, so we'll see. Uh, we'll continue this discussion in the next class um, as, as we continue to analyze this particular question about Nisias Kapai, about uh, the priestly blessings and whether or not it's sufficient. Uh, could we bring, uh, is it sufficient proof to say that their kids are also full-fledged Kohanim?